You're listening to the Lean Six Sigma for Good podcast. We help you learn how Lean and Six Sigma concepts can be applied to nonprofits, NGOs, and not-for-profit organizations. Visit us at LeanSixSigmaForGood.com. Okay, welcome, Tracy, to the Lean Six Sigma for Good podcast. Uh, thanks for joining me, and um, it's good to talk to you. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Brian. I'm really looking forward to talking with you. It seems like we have a lot in common. Yes. Stuff we work on, anyway. <laughs> exactly, yeah. So I wanted to get you on and, and learn a little bit more about some of your work. Uh, I've done some work in government. You've done some nonprofit work, some work in education. So um, tell us a little bit about your background, who you are, how you got into uh, what you've done over the past years, and what kind of led you into process improvement work. Okay, gosh. Um, okay, so I've been doing process improvement since the late 90s. I started at GE Appliances when Jack Welsh was there at the helm, and he was very much into Six Sigma back then. And one of my, when I first started at uh, GE Appliances, my first week I was in a, like a simulation, a live simulation for um, new employees. It was a in process improvement. And what was really interesting about that was the guy that was instructing it, I mean, it was literally my first week at GE, and the guy that was instructing it, I had this sort of like, I'm going to be his doing his job someday. I, I just had this thought, like, I don't know, it was just kind of like, and I was a brand new employee, so you know how you get overwhelmed and you're like, okay, whatever, and then you just try to figure out what you're doing, and so, you know, I forgot about it. And um, so I was I was doing process improvement as an employee. I was a green belt at GE, but GE is a very flat organization. So one of the things that they do is you openly talk about what you want to do in the future with your manager, which I was not used to. So, you know, it's kind of an unusual conversation to talk with your boss about how you're going to leave and go and get another job somewhere else. And they're asking you, what do you want to do? So one of these times, and I already had three jobs with, with GE. I moved around already three times. And well, what do you want to do? And I said, well, um, I'm actually thinking I want to be a black belt. And so I called my black belt and I said, uh, I was actually thinking that I, I think I want to try your job. <laughs> and he said, well, great, because I just applied for another job. So I'm going to recommend you. <laughs> uh, nice. So anyway, um, I uh, had only been a green belt at that point, and I applied for the job. About 20 people applied, and I got the job. <clears throat> and I was really surprised, actually, that I got the job. And I asked them, well, why did you hire me? Because, you know, my first day literally in black belt, as a black belt, was in black belt training because I had never been to training or anything. And they said they had a new position that they wanted me to do called a field black belt position, and that would be where I was helping educate GE appliance customers on what Six Sigma was, what it can do for them. And if they wanted to do a project, I would be their free consultant helping them. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I did that for the entire Western United States for any GE appliance customer. So if they had an interest in learning about Six Sigma, I lived in San Diego at the time, I would fly to wherever they were, I would teach them about process improvement basically like a yellow belt level. And then if they wanted to do a project, I was I would be there to help them. And I would continue to fly out there if they were working on a project. So it was, it was kind of like GE was training me to be a consultant. 
and um, I was a free consultant to GE customers, and you know, and I helped them with with transactional processes mostly. So when I went to black belt training, it was all manufacturing, all you know, statistics, di design of experiments. I actually thought I'd made a mistake. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, oh my gosh, what have I got into? And then when I was like in the field, they just wanted their processes to work better and faster. How do we make, how do we eliminate these errors from our delivery? Why, why do we keep shipping the wrong thing to the wrong customer? How come we have to go out there six different times? Um, you know, why can't we get our money faster? Why can't we, you know, so it was all these transactional processes. And so I had to, I was sort of burdened with the translation of how to apply it from a manufacturing, in a manufacturing training, I was trained as a manufacturing person. And then I had to go apply it in a transactional situation. And, you know, that was what I first initially did. And, um, and then after GE, I ended up becoming a consultant. <laughs> And I had already, I had asked people that I had already been helping because they said they were, so basically I did that for many years, but then the, then it went, they decided they were not going to educate customers anymore. And they asked me to move to Louisville, Kentucky. <clears throat> I don't want to move to Louisville, Kentucky <laughs> for another job. You know, yep. I wanted to stay here in San Diego. So I actually asked GE, I said, well, if you guys are pulling the resource, could I ask these GE customers if they'd be willing to pay for me for my services now? And because um, the resource is going away, because I was, you know, I want to make sure GE didn't think I was doing something wrong. And they said, well, you're not selling appliances, so it's not in competition with us. And if you're helping them, they're just going to sell more appliances. <laughs> so they're like, like yeah, go help proposal, them. Yeah. So um, were these projects, the sorry, were these projects like mainly their own internal problems or was this like interacting with GE in terms of sales and orders and inventory? I asked that, Brian, because initially they said, make sure you work on projects that are going to help us sell more pro products. <laughs> but, you know, originally I said, look, they, that's not what they want to work on. They, you know, so we would try to find some processes that weren't working, but in general, it was other things that they were, it, things were much more painful in other areas. So I said, this is what they want to work on. And they said, okay, <laughs> <laughs> help them fix anything. Yeah, that's so, interesting. Yeah, it was good. It was a great experience and um, I really enjoyed it. And then, you know, it's funny because a lot of people, once they get hired by GE, they are just GE. That's that's their retirement plan. They stay at GE and they do whatever job there is and they move around, but their retirement plan is GE. Well, my retirement plan was process improvement. <laughs> Actually, that was my career plan. And so I really loved it and I didn't want to switch. You know, when they said they had a different job for me in Louisville, it wasn't a process improvement job and I really fell in love with it. And <clears throat> honestly, Brian, I thought there was something wrong with me before. I found process improvement because I get bored really easy. You know, I'm, I'm just like, oh, I need something else to do. I'm kind of bored. You know, process improvement is so not boring. I mean, I've been doing it for almost tw 25 years almost, and I love it. And it's because it's always different. It's always a different industry, a different problem, a different root cause, a, you know, a different scenario, a different industry. Different I mean, people. it applies everywhere. And, you know, I sometimes, you know, tire of certain industries, but, and like as of late, um, 
I've been helping more more government, military, nonprofit, and education, and that's where I'm finding my passion is because there's so much opportunity, and these these they're good people. You know what I mean? They're just good people. It's not about making more money or make turning a more of a profit. It's about helping people achieve their purpose and their mission and reducing pain and making trying to make it as easy as possible for them to do what they are here to do. You know what I mean? Yep. So absolutely. That's really, yeah, I'm sure you feel that way too, right? Yeah. The opportunity is is very large. So mm -hmm. <laughs> Yeah. So so that's kind of how I got started. I became a consultant in 2002. So I started my own consulting firm in 2002 um, and I've been doing it ever since and now it's 2022. So it's like, wow. what? Time <laughs> <laughs> flies. Yeah. So, um, and you know, I've, I've met people along the way and I started teaching at UC San Diego seven years ago. So I, you know, I teach the green belt there. Um, and I, I really like a mix. I like to teach, but I also really like the consulting part, helping people um, in their jobs, like in, in their workplaces, because it helps me see culturally what they're struggling with. Um, it helps me really help them figure out the puzzle for how does this work here, right? Because, you know, the structure of process improvement doesn't change, really. It's either PDCA or DMAIC or, you know, it's ultimately root cause analysis. Understand the problem. Understand the situation. You know, understand, get a grasp of current condition. Like, what's happening here? What What's really happening with this process? Find the root causes. And once you find the root causes, then what are you going to do to address those root causes? That structure pretty much stays the same with problem solving. But how you implement it at a company you know, and what are some of the cultural barriers that are getting in the way for people not able to do that? That's always interesting to me, right? And so, um, yeah, that really... translation with people on their own processes and the training, yeah, I think that's kind of the fun part of mm -hmm. trying to get them to think about like, no, you are doing something every day, like mm -hmm. it's not a deliverable item, but there are as things that you are doing, it's an email or it's a call that you have with somebody that is your service that you're providing to them. And how many times do you do that a day? And how good is that result? And um, how yeah. long does it take, you know? And so, yeah, I find that part pretty fun. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, and just, you know, the repeatable part, like you said, you know, how when they see that it's your, even if it's a few minutes, right? Like if you shave a few minutes off something that you're doing many times a day or many people are doing it many times a day, you're saving so much time and now they can work on other things that are more important. And so I always am trying to stress that too, because I sometimes feel like when people learn this method, they want to like solve world hunger and it'd be great to solve world hunger, but <laughs> let's focus on something manageable and meaningful. <laughs> You know, something you could get done in like two months, two months or, you know, in a week. Right. Like, right. so I think and that that's hard to do. So I'm, I'm always reducing scope. I'm, I'm finding I'm, you know, getting people to reduce scope a lot. Like what's in your control? What can you affect? You know, um, those kinds of things. Nice. So 
as part of the program at UCSD, um, are these students, are these professionals? Mm -hmm. Is it a mix? Are Good they doing question. projects at the school or are they doing them um, like at their work or? Yeah, great question. It's all yes. So, <laughs> so um, what I really like about the course, it's, it's through the extension. So it's a public course offering. And most people, I'd say 90% of the people that attend are professionals. They, they have a job and their company often has sponsored them into taking the program. The company is paying for them to go through this program. So uh, what I love about the, the, the offering at UC San Diego, and there's multiple offerings, uh, by the way, too, <clears throat> but um, you can have people like from Illumina and Dexcom or healthcare. You can have, there's a lot of people that are, are from UC San Diego. They're employees and they're coming through the class because UC San Diego is implementing process improvement at the university too. So that's really cool too. And it's kind of nice because some of the students that are coming working at Peloton, um, they get to see that there's people in the class that work at UCSD and there's customers of UCSD. So it's kind of nice for them to see, oh, they're implementing process improvement too. That's cool. So, and it's really diversified. So they get to hear the pres they get to hear the problems because we do do these virtual sessions where the, the students talk to each other and they review their fishbone diagrams or their SIPOCs or whatever the methods and tools are. And they get to see and learn a lot about, you know, other industries. So it's very interesting for them too, when they go through the class, because, um, you know, that's one of the biggest learnings is they get to hear other people apply it and they get to see it applied in maybe an industry they're not familiar with. So it's great. So yeah, all different. And then we have some students because in the project management program at, at UC San Diego, this is an elective. Greenbelt is an elective, so they can take it. So that's where we see some of the students come in. But it is required that you have to do a project and it's, it needs to be work-based. And so often if we have some students in there, they will join a team, someone else's team on the in the project so that they can get that experience. Great. Um, does any projects come to mind like related to work at UCSD and what are some of the things that they're trying to improve on as a school? Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, so what's also interesting is UCSD is pretty loud about getting other University of California institutions involved. So they've been collaborating with UC Davis, UC Santa Barbara, UCLA, um, different other universities, and some of them come into our class too. And we've done full cohorts at UC Santa Barbara too for their employees. So uh, some really fun interesting ones and you know it's it's funny because they could be so creative so we've had one project called software <laughs> it's like people you know they have all these applications they don't know where to go they don't know where to get it it's confusing so they did a whole process to you know, improve the flow and help direct people on where to go to reduce the lead time to get up and running in an application as an example um, there was another project called you stole my bike so this is UC Santa Barbara. UC Santa Barbara, I don't know if you've ever been on this beautiful campus. I have, I've uh -huh. had the pleasure of going there because some of the cohorts were in person. Mm -hmm. 
everybody rides their bikes on campus. You know, it's, everybody's riding their bikes. And so guess what? Some of the students sometimes park it illegally. And <laughs> then they come out and the bike is gone. And then they have to go and figure out what happened to the bike. They find out that it's been um, <clears throat> confiscated. And they come into the office and they say, you stole my bike. <laughs> <laughs> so they, their process that they were trying to improve was, okay, now let's focus on what we can control. Can we tra train every student? They're probably still going to have some occurrences where they're going to be parking, putting their bike where they shouldn't. But what they did decide was they needed to improve the cycle time from when they showed up to when they actually got their bike back. And sometimes that took a long time. Sometimes it took as long as four hours to get it. Mm. So they reduced that. Um, I'll just give you another example. Um, so we've had a couple of HR uh, projects at UC San Diego with improving onboarding, right? So how do we make sure that this the people that are getting onboarded as employees are um, getting the the equipment they need, the software they need, the accesses they need, all that kinds of stuff. And there's a lot of customer student uh, geared uh, sort of, uh, processes too, where they're trying to make it easier for students to find classes, for students to register, uh, to book a lab, all of those things that are student geared too, which is always nice. Yeah, that's great. We've seen lots of, of um, processes, which which is awesome. It's really fun to see. Yeah, and I think those are pretty generic too. I would think that a lot of schools would can see examples like that and say, oh yeah, we have something very similar. I mean, it's not like, uh, I can imagine that uh, a lot of schools are, are could find similar ways of improving. Mm -hmm. um, and it's not like they're doing anything too different, I would imagine, mm -hmm. especially yes. onboarding. Yeah, I mean, even, um, you know, I've seen a couple of projects as well about bringing on new instructors, new professors, and how, how, to re how to improve that cycle time where, you know, why is it taking so long to onboard a new professor? And um, review processes, just all kinds of things. And um, it's, it's pretty impressive to see what they can do with this method. That's, that's actually my favorite part is, you know, I go and teach the whole semester uh, not the whole semester. Yeah, the whole the whole class. They have to do a project, so they talk about their projects all throughout. Like day one, we start talking about what project are you going to do, and then we go for about six weeks where they see me every week, and then there's a break. And the goal is that they need to finish whatever they haven't finished because we we realize projects have a different lead time, right? There's a lot of variation in start and stop times for projects, so we give them we add six weeks to finish whatever you weren't able to finish during that during the class time and then they have to come in and do final project presentations and so uh, that's my gift is I you know I teach and I like to teach but I love it when I get to see what they've done with it and it's pretty impressive yeah that is the fun part <laughs> mm -hmm. what kind of topics are you covering uh, how in-depth are you going into the is it lean and six sigma combined yes. Are you getting heavy in statistics at all or staying pretty high level on that or no so the green belt um level that what we've decided is <clears throat> that we really want people to be good at process analysis analysis recognizing that it's a process which is crazy how many, people sometimes don't think process right recognizing 
that it's a process, make it visible, because that's one challenge we have in transactional. Things are invisible, people can't see them. Yep. So how do you really make it visible and then analyze a process? That's really what we're honing in on. There's a lot to learn around that, right? So current state, what are you doing to analyze and understand current state? You know, SIPOX, process map, swim lanes. Okay, let's think about your thinking. Let's put it on an A3. You know, what, what, you think, what do you think is the current condition? What do you think the problem statement is? What's your target? So these are all things. And then the whole root cause analysis, you know, often most people just skip right through that. You know, in real life, they don't do, they're like, okay, here's the solution. Like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. <laughs> so. Or the solution's really already embedded in their problem statement. Yeah, like, exactly. We need to right? standardize processes or we need to implement this software program. Uh -huh, exactly. So it's a different way of thinking. And we really, we really, I think if there's enough meat to cover in Greenbelt to really, I actually open every class this way. I say, my goal is to curse and infect you with Lean Six Sigma eyes so you never look at things ever the same way again. <laughs> <laughs> yep, sorry in advance, but you will not. Yep, you're gonna be cursed from now on. <laughs> Everywhere you go, you will not be able to unsee the waste, yeah. <laughs> That's exactly it. So. And so again, you know, and, and I know I'm successful when after they've done their project, like, oh my gosh, we have this that we're gonna work on, this and this and this and this, and they just have this long list of things that they wanna work on now. So I feel like the statistics part has a place. I just feel like there's so much to learn with the green belt and that process piece and flow and waste that how the courses are designed at UC San Diego is that you get, you get the statistics in black belt. So you understand hypothesis testing and confirming your hypothesis with data and with observation with process walks in green belt. And then we say, okay, and here's your formal hypothesis testing in black belt. Here's your, all your hypothesis tests. Here's the, here's the, the process for, you know, a formal hypothesis, you know, your null and your alt, and here's your T tests and your one-way ANOVAs and all that. Yes. And so, but we really want to make sure people understand the process piece first. Yeah, I think that's a good approach to not overwhelm them with too much mm -hmm. right away. And there, like you said, there's a lot to learn in, in just the process evaluation and understanding that, yeah, that's a lot. Mm -hmm. Yes. And um, I get probably more asks about the statistics piece by industry. So manufacturing sometimes asks me a little bit more for the statistics and then also healthcare, believe it or not. Because I think they're just, you know, the scientific method and um, they're more exposed to it. But again, it's, it's never been an issue. They, they still appreciate what they're learning in the green belt. Great. Yeah. And you mentioned some other sectors you've worked in, the nonprofit, um, government, do you want to share some of those examples and experiences? Yeah. Um, so let's see, which one should I do first? <laughs> uh. um, mostly, you know, it's interesting because government, and you, I don't know, you've probably experienced this too, but um, government is really interesting. And I, I hear, you know, from other consultants, oh, I don't help government. I don't help, they're such a mess. And I don't want to have to deal with the procurement process. And I'm like, okay, I'll do it all. <laughs> because I love it. I love working and helping government. And it's mostly because of the people, the people in government, most people 
are are there because they want to make a difference. They're not there to get rich. They're there to make a difference. They have a higher purpose. They want to do something good. Okay, maybe there's a few that are just there to collect a paycheck and have good benefits. And yeah, sure, you're going to have some of those people everywhere. But most people, they do want to they do want to do they their head is in the right place in my opinion, right? And you know, they're stuck in these processes that are cumbersome, painful, long, unnecessary, complicated, and anything we can do to make that better. And sometimes it's significant. Sometimes there's significantly things that you could make better um, with very simple solutions. So it's it's been very rewarding. And so I did some work I've done some work with King County, Kern County, LA County, um, the state of Oregon, state of Washington, Denver, city and county of Denver, um, San Diego County, city of San Diego, lots of different um, at every level. So um, the federal even, Department of Veterans Affairs, the military, um, just, and I just see the same thing. Yeah, sometimes it is harder to do but I always hone in on what can you control? What, and if you can't control the whole thing, what are some people that are close to you that you guys can mobilize together and make a difference in that piece of the process? Because there's so much opportunity. If you like this topic, please check out Lean Six Sigma for Good, Lessons from the Gemba. Volume one is released and available through Amazon. We will soon have an audible version coming out early in 2020, and we're working on volume two as we speak. Volume 1 has eight chapters written by different authors who share their experiences applying Lean and Six Sigma to not-for-profit organizations. Yeah, you mentioned yeah. just kind of scoping things down for people and saying, okay, this is daunting. It's it's overwhelming probably for a lot of people. And, and mm -hmm. if you can help them try to hone in and say, you control this or you have influence over this part of it, let's at least make this part work a little better and maybe that would get them started or feel like they're making some progress. Yep. And there are, you know, it could be very just simple, eye-opening things like walking a process. Government does tend to be risk averse. Nobody wants to be in the papers. And so there's a fear. There's a kind of an in, a built-in fear about that. Um, and so, you know, so it's not about, you know, and I think that's where people struggle. The whole idea around process improvement culture is, you know, give them the power. And government's like, oh, that sounds scary. And but you know, it's it's to me, it's about okay, give them a cal give them some calculated risk at least. You know, like okay, it doesn't mean okay, I'm empowering you to do whatever you want. It's empowering people with boundaries, right? Like start there. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. So, um, but you know, um, and you know, I've had various success and I've had teams with various success in government. Some people have huge improvements and savings. I mean, the city of San Diego, they did a project, they had brought a project into my class at UC San Diego and they saved $8 million. Like what? Right. And then, you know, and then there's some that the experiment didn't go very well and they didn't have much of an impact. And so guess what? You pick up, you get back in the saddle and you try again. <laughs> that's all you can do mm -hmm. i think the fear of not like i've i've dealt with this too is they're like well it didn't work i'm like okay that's now what 
we got to keep going. Like the project isn't over. Like just because you tried something and you're not done. Like we had to go back to the problem and say, you're trying to resolve this. That was one attempt. Okay. That didn't work. Uh, maybe we could back up a little bit and see why it didn't work and try something else. But um, I think that's what happens normally without some structure or like this, these improvement tools and methods is it's just kind of like we try, we come up with an idea and we try it and it doesn't work for many different reasons. Maybe it wasn't implemented well or rolled out well, or wasn't really the, the right solution for the problem. And, and it's like, oh, well, well, that didn't work. And it's like, no, this, you got to keep going. I mean, I don't know what else to do, but try something different. Yeah. What did yeah. you learn? You're right. And, and in government, you know, you, you can have employees that have been there 20 years, 10 years. They're like, oh, we tried that 15 years ago. It didn't work. Oh, we tried that seven years ago. That didn't work. <laughs> and so, you know, it's like, okay, well, it doesn't mean it won't work today. And, you know, because processes change, people change, technology changes. You always have to reassess, right? Yep. Absolutely. So one, um, I work with this, with, this was with King County and, um, <clears throat> We we had a lot of projects originally in, in, in the some of the early cohorts. Uh, when I say cohorts, it's like we take a group of, let's say, people and we train them and we help them do the projects and we, we're coaching them and it's we're managing them by cohorts. I guess that means we're batching them. Um, so <laughs> but um, so there was a, a group of cohorts and we discovered that there was this sort of these improvements that kind of fell under this bucket. We called it just stop doing that. <laughs> <laughs> right? Like this girl in HR, she was like, everybody keeps filling out this form and sending it to me. They don't have to fill it out anymore because we changed the process and all the information we need has already been collected in this other system that didn't used to be available, but now it is. So they don't have to do that anymore. They don't have to fill out the form. So now it's like breaking. And this is for the entire county, 36,000 employees and however many agencies they had. And she's like, just stop doing that. Everybody's submitting this form and they don't need to. And then um, another example was travel reimbursement. So for whatever reason, um, you know, we there was an improvement in the process. And part of it was they were sending in too much information, right? Everybody, one example is anytime they traveled, they would put send a map, a Google map printed out of the miles and where they drove. And, and we found out you don't need to do that. You don't need to send that in. Stop sending it. <laughs> We're trying to make it easy for you. You don't have to send it in. But we're talking about breaking habits that people have been doing for however many years. And yep. so it was a stop doing that. Like it's, just, it's too much time because we don't need to do that anymore. So, um, and of course we say it with love. Like, right. we don't want you to have to do that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've run into, across that too. It's just like, um, well, that was changed years ago and yet, it never got communicated out or rolled out or mm -hmm. shared that like, yeah, we don't need that anymore or that doesn't need to go there or you don't have to fill that out or there's a simpler process or um, mm -hmm. with people yeah. it's like the improvement was there, but it didn't get fully like rolled out into uh -huh. the organization where actually where people were checking to see like, have people switched over yet? Have we seen that the numbers are getting better? And they just kind of said, well, we launched that process and now we're done and we're off to some other project. And it's like, uh, and then you go back and find out it just never really got fully rolled out. 
Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's it's um and then the other one that we often I often see and again I'm I'm sort of generalizing but just to give you an idea, you know, adding signatures that just don't need to be there. Signatures and information, collection of information that just doesn't need to be done or that it's done in another area now. And so it's um you know, a, a lot some of that work was removing signatures that just didn't need to be there removing reviews of too many people, like people insert themselves. And I honestly, there was one leader, she was basically telling me she was kind of new. She'd been there about a year and a half. She goes, I approve so much stuff. I don't even look at it. It just comes to my desk. I don't even know why I'm supposed to look at it. She's, you know, she's like, I don't want to have to look at this stuff anymore because honestly, I don't even know what I'm, I'm doing here. I know that there's two other people looking at it besides me. And so thank you. Thank you, leader. I wish all the leaders would do that, right? And so that was interesting. Um, and then just, just you know, too many approvals. Do we really need this approval? And, you know, I, I kind of started talking about it like, we're getting in our own way. How do we get out of our own way? Because that's we, we can control that part of it sometimes. So it's been fun. The, the work in government is fun. Once you get in there, once you get through the procurement process. <laughs> The different project to work on, uh, how to get uh, the procurement process streamlined a little bit. Yeah, I actually did get to work on that. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the few that I filled out, it's like, how is this relevant? How do you need to know all this detail? Like, right, it's just like you're, it's almost like an exercise in filtering out people. Mm -hmm. Say if you do you have the patience and the persistence to go through this lengthy process? And if so, then maybe you'll end up being a good employee or consultant for us. Like, mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's wild. You know what's really interesting too is um, so um, they one organization I was helping it was FBOD Finance Business Operations Division, and he would go around, he was um, doing what they call roundings, process roundings, where he would spend one hour a week uh, just visiting an area and he would just say, just tell me what your process is. It was really him to learn and show respect for people. And uh, there were a couple times where they would walk through a process with him. And I happened to be there that one day and it was in procurement and it was, a, a I don't know, a supervisor, I think, and some of his workers, and they sat the director down for this department, this division, and he says, okay, I want you to go ahead and try to register as a supplier for King County. Go ahead. And 20 minutes, he's like, okay, I give up. <laughs> and the guy goes, exactly. <laughs> it was so powerful. It right? is powerful, like, yeah. You're like walk this process pretend you're the thing and let's see how we've organized this and that is so powerful process walks to me have been the most powerful thing to do in government it is so eye-opening people are un amazed at like what have we done <laughs> <laughs> so i love doing that that's great that's great how about the nonprofit work you know, the nonprofit sector for me is probably um, one of my most favorite and also kind of, you know, I guess, well, I've been doing this 20, almost 20 years, 25 years total, but um, 
I'd say in the last seven years, I've really picked picked up more of doing the nonprofit work. And it was interesting story how that got started. So I teach at UC San Diego now. I teach the Greenbelt program. But before that, I taught at San Diego State University. And I was uh, on the instructor panel for the Lean Enterprise program. And um, there's a lot of uh, consultants on there that um, are in our industry, you know, Mike Osterling, Jerry Wright, Sammy O'Bara, um, a couple other, lots of, there was about 12 of us, Rick Vanderlinden, and um, we would, you know, it was a 12-week course, and we would all share, so there's, you could have up to six or seven in, different instructors during your, if you were in the program, and one of the things that Mike Osterling kind of, um, I taught the value stream mapping two days with him for many years, and what we would do is we would find some a company in San Diego to go and host the value stream sessions. So it'd be two days and the first day, and there's a lot of pre-work. So he would identify, okay, who should we have host? And we would pick a company, we would ask them if they were interested in hosting our class and as and, and what they got in return was four of their processes mapped out in a value stream. So they got to keep the final product. And so we would break out the class and we would teach them how to do it. And then they would go interview the people at this company and they would put a value stream map together. It was super fun, really engaging. People loved it because you know, you're on site, you're actually rolling up your sleeves now. It's not an academic exercise, people. This is, you're doing it. So we did it a couple places um, and, and just before we did it at a nonprofit, it was at Solar Turbines. We had done it at Solar Turbines, and they're great. They're wonderful and very supportive. But it was sort of like getting all those people in there for the day was like Fort Knox, right? <laughs> to, you know, there's a lot of safety and, you know, security, and I get it. And so we decided, let's let's try to go maybe somewhere that doesn't have um, the levels. You know, it was, it was just, it, we couldn't get started for like two hours, the class. So... We said, let's try a nonprofit. And we had been working with um, some of the people that have gone through the class. Uh, there's a girl, Alicia Saki. She was the CEO of Feeding San Diego. And we asked her if she would want to host. So she said yes. And she, her people got to learn value stream mapping. And we went in there and we mapped out four processes at Feeding San Diego. And they loved it. And then um, I so loved that experience that I actually donated some of my services to help them finish executing on the value stream maps. And I, you know, and then it kind of sparked an idea for me. And I said, you know, I think I want to do this more. I, I think I want to find a couple other nonprofits. And so, and again, it's kind of one of those things that sits in the back burner because you're so busy. And you're like, oh, when I have time, when I have time. Well, who has time? So what's funny is one of the girls that I had been helping at Feeding San Diego left and she went to go work for Kitchens for Good, which is this other nonprofit. And she called me and she said, we need your help. <laughs> <laughs> Can you come in and help us? And I'm like, yeah, with what? And she goes, I don't know. <laughs> and so, you know, I met with her and I figured out what they were doing and she goes, well, here's some of the issues that we're having. Can you help us with any of that? And, um, you know, there, it was a sort of um, dance, I guess you will, to say, it's like, I want to help. You want our help. Let's see where we can make this happen. And so <clears throat> part of it was, so just, and just, I guess, for a little more background, Kitchens for Good is 
they've got so, uh, their biggest mission is that they have a culinary school. They're a second chance organization, so they have a culinary school for people that have been incarcerated or coming out of mental illness or um, anything like that. So homeless, and so you go through the culinary school, and when you graduate, they also have a placement program so that you can get placed into any all kinds of restaurants or hotel kitchens all in San Diego and the graduations are like tear jerkers right like these people have been through a lot and um and then and the graduation when they graduate from the culinary school they you know they get up and they kind of tell their story and so um it's really really moving and so that's one thing they do is they they have this whole placement for the culinary school but then they also have a um, project nourish is what they call it and they're making meals for homeless for for not only homeless but for people in need and so um so they have a production line basically for 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 food and so um so anyways i i got to see what that looked like and i watched the process first and i said oh yes there's some opportunity i think we can help here and it was it was such a big undertaking and I didn't have that much time, so I had asked a couple other consultants to help if they were interested in helping on a non-volunteer basis. And it was Mike Osterling, Sally Toyster, me, and Mark Myers, who used to be in charge of the San Diego State Program. And we showed up uh, whenever needed, and we'd work together during the line. Like, we do an experiment, and then we go, okay, try it tonight. And then we watch the line, and we see how it went. It was so much fun. <laughs> <laughs> so much fun and simple things, you know, simple things that they hadn't thought about or, you know, they weren't, you know, like there's no, we're like, oh, look, that, that, that workload's not balanced. You know, we need to balance the line a little bit more. And let's think about what the tack time is that they have to meet for every meal. Are they meeting it? Are they not meeting it? How many meals do we have to do in two hours? And are they going to do it? Maybe we should do a work sale. And so we were working with the operations team to do these experiments and, it was so much fun, and they and they ended up increasing their their production lines by a lot. I think they got to twelve hundred meals a night, and they were only doing eight hundred or something like that. So wow, it was really rewarding and fun, and they were so appreciative to have us. It was just a great experience. Yeah, so I think I really that's really yeah, and I think that the desires there, like you said, they're great people trying to do a great. Um, great thing achieve a mission um and either just don't have the time to step back you know i think they're understaffed most of the time and maybe just don't have the background or experience they haven't gone through a company necessarily where they've gotten exposure to process improvement so yeah i think it's a great opportunity it is and then you know finding the repeatable processes too and they had a lot of volunteers coming in and you know, I watched the whole volunteer process, the whole check-in process, the sign-up process, and the, just maximizing that part of it. Like, how do you get as many volunteers in here as, as you can manage? Like, it, it isn't just about bringing in all the volunteers, but how many can we manage? And then how many do we really need? And then, you know, the other thing is there's a lot of repeatable office processes too, but nobody's ever written them down or created standard work so that they could go, okay, here's what I need you to do. It's all written out right here. So anytime they got a volunteer, they were explaining it over and over and over again. And so it wasn't worthwhile to them, right? And so it's these, these things that you know are repeatable that you're doing. And then how do you at least document it so that you can get help quickly, right? So um, 
it was just staff training time we found it and a few that we've worked with is just overwhelming yeah it's like i'm having to train people again and because the training is so long and lengthy we don't actually get into doing help right away and then the volunteers didn't feel like they got anything done or didn't feel like they were productive with their time and so they don't come back and then you have to retrain new people and so yeah volunteer onboarding i think is really key for nonprofits. It is. And, you know, honestly, um, you know, they felt like there were some things that I felt like I would do that as a volunteer. You know, I always thought I would do that as a volunteer. Maybe some people wouldn't do it, but give them the option, right? Like, don't just assume nobody's going to do that job. Um, like, they, 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 they were really concerned about cleaning. You know, we don't want to have to ask our employees to clean. Why not? I mean, okay, maybe I don't want to clean the toilet, but I'll wash the walls, you know, or I'll I'll do all the wipe down of the shelves, you know, I'll do, you know, simple things that probably need to be done regularly that now you don't have to do it, right? So, but, you know, there's this assumption that, no, we shouldn't ask our, you know, volunteers to do that. You don't have to force them, just throw it out there. And if they don't want to do it, fine, right, you know? Right. So anyway, um, but, um, and then, you know, I got an opportunity to see, I started honing in on nonprofits and then I just got an opportunity to see other nonprofits too. So Feeding San Diego, um, Kitchens for Good. Um, we had a couple of people from Father Joe's Village come to the, to the class. That was really cool. Um, and they were trying to improve the donation process, right? Like people are calling and they're like, we got to answer the phone, man. Because you know what? If somebody wants to donate their car and we don't answer the phone, they're going to call the next group. Right. We got to answer those calls. We got to make sure that we're on top of it. And so, you know, they were trying to improve that whole process. And then um, I did not help them specifically. I know the, the group that did help them. I mean, I was involved very little. Um, the San Diego Humane Society. Right. So they have I mean, they have it's the largest, you know, um, you know, pet care place that's, you know, takes care of all kinds of animals and they're doing process improvement and they were sharing this story about um what they do to make sure that their kittens their baby kittens are fed on a regular schedule because you know what if they're not fed on a regular schedule, they'll die right you know they'll there's a lot of kittens i, I can't remember the exact number but it was a lot of fifty thousand kittens a year or something like that oh my gosh. a lot of kittens yeah. and so um you know, how do we make sure we've got really good process to feed these baby kittens and, you know, all kinds of stuff like that. So that was kind of fun and neat to hear. Um, and also the volunteer process there, right? Like, how do we get volunteers? Because people want to volunteer there, right? Who would ever want to volunteer with the Humane Society? You know, if you're a dog lover, cat, there's so many animal lovers now. And so, um, and then the last one was, this one was the most heartbreaking. I, I did not help them either, but they, they send people to my classes. It's a nonprofit, but through UC San Diego Health, it's called Life Sharing. And they specialize in donating organs when you're about to, someone you love is about to pass, right? And it's such an awkward moment. I mean, it's, okay, somebody's gonna die. And then you be like, you wanna donate their organs? I mean like that right. could go really bad yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right like i mean it's just just the worst time like what you know like some people say how can you ask me that and it, it could go just very badly and 
people are scared to ask, nurses don't want to ask, and there's this whole process of, well, first of all, they have to ask, and then they have to get approved, right? Like, you know, my mom, she had cancer, so she was not, she would, and died of that. She wouldn't have been able to donate her organs. And so, you know, you have to ask them, and then you you might have to reject them. Eesh. Yeah. You know? So just everything that they're doing to make that process beautiful and and meaningful and wonderful instead of painful and, you know, unhumanistic. I mean, like, how do you put a price on that? You know? Yeah. And I think I've seen some of these presentations, maybe it was Process Palooza yes. videos you had. Um, and also JIT, Just In Time Cafe, you've, you've highlighted some of these too. So I'll link those into the show notes for people to yeah. kind of yeah. go see more examples there. Um, so do you want to talk about your podcast and sure. also anything else, how people can reach out to you and contact Absolutely. you? Absolutely. So like, like I said, I've been doing this a long time, tw almost 23 years, but my latest adventure <laughs> is uh, what I called the Just In Time Cafe, and that's with Elizabeth Swan. We've co-partnered on this effort. Most of what we do is for the community, right? So we do free podcasts, free webinars. We have free tools and templates on our website. Everything is free, and we do that because we love what we do, and we love this community so much. We want people to be successful, and we want to share stories. It brings joy to us. We know it brings joy to others, and so... Um, we do a podcast every month, uh, the Just In Time Cafe podcast, and we do a, a webinar. We used to do two webinars a month, but right now we're so busy, we're only doing one webinar a month. And um, and that's highlighting, you know, whatever we think is relevant and interesting to our, to our, our learner group or our audience. Um, and so we've been doing that for about a year now, and it's a lot of fun, and um, and then, you know, Elizabeth and I do other things like, you know, we teach at UC San Diego. She teaches there too. Um, and uh, so it's, it's a lot of fun. We also have a book out. It's called The Problem Solvers Toolkit. And it's kind of, kind of what you and I were talking about, Brian, is we don't want to inundate you with just, there's so many tools you could use. And so this book is a tool book, but it's really around just like, here's the tools that we find most people use in process improvement that that seemed to work really well and people really like and they see a lot of value out of it so not hundreds of tools 35 tools <laughs> so a lot but that's a lot a lot less than hundreds <laughs> yeah exactly um I'll so link yeah. yeah so that's uh that's our latest adventure um let's see what else mm. yeah that's pretty good i get a hold of you like oh. LinkedIn or yeah you can always email site. me, Tracy, T-R-A-C-Y, at the JIT Cafe. So that's Tracy at JIT Cafe, J-I-T-C-A-F-E dot com. I'm also on LinkedIn, Tracy O'Rourke, O-R-O-U-R-K-E. Um, I'm also the chair for the SoCal Lean Network. And Jerry Wright ran that for about 20 years, and he just handed it over. He's, he kind of wants to take a little time to himself, and he thought it was time to pass the torch. So he asked me if I was interested, and I said, okay. And so we, uh, I try to post a lot of activities on there, you know, like any webinars, conferences, podcasts for anyone that's joining there. So you can always join that if you want, SoCalLeanNetwork.com. And um, I, I love doing that. that. That group 
used to, we're going to do that again eventually, but used to do tours in SoCal. So we would always find companies that wanted to tour, that was doing something related to process improvement. So for example, Costco Optical Lab um, would be a tour. Taylor Guitars, right? Like they did process improvements. So people got to see the whole the whole line, how they make the guitars and everything. It's It was super fun. And oh, then you yeah. got to see the final product and all the stuff they're doing in their line. Solar Turbines did a tour, if you were approved to come on <laughs> site and you were not a competitor. Um, the Zoo, so we got to go to the Wild Animal Park because they're doing process improvement. And they're also a nonprofit, by the way. Um, and just a quick story about that. Um, you know, what I loved about helping them is they said, well, if we get through our must-haves, like if we can get through our must-haves faster, like feeding all the animals in the amount of time that we have with, you know, good quality food, then we have more time to play with them and, you know, grow and do fun things with them because that's the, that's the nice-to-haves. We want more nice-to-haves. And we want to do the must-haves, and we want to do them well, but we want to get through them so we can do the nice-to-haves for the for the animals. So love that, too. Yeah, that's probably what the staff signed up for, right, is mm -hmm. to get to play with the animals, not clean up yeah. after them. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so uh, so anyways, those were some of the tours that we that were done um, in the past. The jacuzzi, the jacuzzi, uh, jacuzzi tubs. We went to a jacuzzi tub place. Alumina, all different kinds of tours in San Diego. I can't wait. To go you know to be able to do these tours but you know we we had one scheduled early this uh or late last year with costco but we had to cancel it so now we're kind of like well let's just do virtual for a while and then when we start doing regular tours we can start doing that again and i hope that some nonprofits will be I'm, i can't I hope we get to go to the santa humane society to see the kittens <laughs> yeah <laughs> that sounds fun <laughs> So anyway, that's how you get a hold of me. Okay. Um, lots of different sources. You, you, you know, I think if you Google me too, I come up. <laughs> okay. I'll put a lot of link, links in there for so audiences. Uh, just a, a quick story too. My partner Elizabeth Swan. You can't Google her because Kira <laughs> Knightley comes up in the Pirates right. of the Caribbean. So you can't uh, Google Elizabeth Swan, but you can okay. find her on LinkedIn. <laughs> or the JIT Cafe. Yeah. Yes. Well, Tracy, thank you so much. This is really, uh, really fascinating to hear all your different projects and experience and I hope everyone that listened also found it enjoyable. So really appreciate yeah. your time. It was good to talk to you and anything Great. else you want to add or? Um, no, thanks for having me on. And um, you're going to come on our podcast too. So I can't yes. wait for that. Okay. But no, I really enjoyed talking with you and thanks for having me. And um, I hope I see you soon. I, I, I know yes. I will. And I just always encourage people to just stay on the journey of continuous improvement. I mean, how can you miss this? It's such an adventure. You're right. It's uh, always changing, something new, and it never ends. It never ends. All right. Thanks, Tracy. Thank you. Bye. Are you interested in learning more about Lean and Six Sigma? Or are you looking to expand your existing skills to apply them to environmental impacts at your work or in the local community? Check out our free online course called Lean Six Sigma and the Environment on thinkific.com. We'll teach you about the lean forms of waste and waste walks, which stands for water, air emissions, solid waste, toxins, and energy. We'll go over examples of reducing electricity and solid waste, teach you how to involve your facilities and environment safety and health personnel. 
We'll provide guidance on how to green your 5S and lean Kaizen events and many other tools specific to finding environmental opportunities. Learn more at leansixsigmaenvironment.org.